When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Hello and welcome to Commons People, the HuffPost UK's politics podcast. U-turn if you want to. George Osborne certainly did this week on tax credits and police cuts. The Reds were out from under the bed and into the Commons thanks to John McDonnell and his little red book. And the drums of war are beating loud as we record. Joining me this week are... Uh, Graham Demonick, Paul War, Ned Simons. Well, I think we should start off by talking about the big news of the week, um, which was the autumn statement. George Osborne surprised pretty much everyone with a U-turn on tax credits, and here it's a clip of him making the announcement. I've listened to the concerns, I hear and understand them, and because I've been able to announce today an improvement in the public finances, the simplest thing to do is not to phase these changes in, but to avoid them altogether. Yeah. Paul War and Graham Demonic. Is that how you pronounce the name? Yeah, Demonic, like Dominic, but with an E. Every week. Think of it like that. Yeah. Every week. Uh, anyway, Paul and Graham are here and they're going to talk us through what happened. First of all, we heard the tax credits U turn then. I mean, is it fair to say that that came completely out of blue sky and no one saw it coming? Paul? Well, the Institute for Fiscal Studies, who are uh, resident geniuses on, on most things economic, um, have been warning this for, for quite a few weeks that look, he had so little room for manoeuvre. He either junked it completely, as he did, or he stuck with it and took a lot of the political flack. Um, there was no real middle road. You know, tapering it, sort of phasing it in, all of those involved political damage. Um, and so he, he took the, the much easier and simpler option, which perhaps he should have taken early in the summer. Why, why didn't he take it early in the summer then? I mean, why, why wait now? Was it because he wanted the big reveal? I mean, why, why get beaten he, up in the House of Lords like he did? He this? says it's only because he got this windfall of 27 billion quid, which he found down the back of the sofa and a few sort of statistical wiggles um, that allowed him to that room for manoeuvre. Um, but, you know, I have to say, it, it makes you think all about George Osborne as a politician. You know, we keep being told he's this great strategic genius. You know, we keep being told that. Now, it's a bit like Gordon Brown, another famously political chancellor, who was, there was, again, we've talked about this in the past, there's a good Gordon and a bad Gordon. There's a good George and a bad George. The good George is the guy who can spot things coming down the track, has this great idea of national living wage. Brilliant, let's knit Labour's clothes. The good George is the guy who spots in an election campaign God, the SNP are going to really put the willies up most people down south. Let's really big that up. But the bad George is the guy who gets booed at the Olympics, the guy who, you know, has an omni-shambles budget over things like pasties that make him look really out of touch. And this made him look really out of touch, tax credits. And I'm not too sure, does it damage him longer term? I'm not sure. The fact that he's kind of, we've had a bit of a, a, bit, a, bit of a row over it for the last kind of few weeks, but I suspect that now he's actually stood up, made a kind of definitive statement on it saying, 
you know, they won't be phased in, it won't be kind of tapered in, it's going to go. I think, I think you're going to get away with it. I think you'll... I think he'll recover. I'm not sure, actually. I think the damage has been quite severe to his reputation because I think it just revived all those old sort of images of this guy who's being out of touch, doesn't really care about the people he says he cares about, which is the strivers. Um, I mean, I think the big winner from all this politically is Boris. Boris put it out there very early. I'm on the side of the working man. I'm on the side of the striver. It's tax credits cuts. You've got to do something about it. And I'm pretty sure George feels quite sore about that. Because Boris, of course, was, was tasking people in his London Assembly to come up with a, with a way of mitigating the cuts in London. It was, you know, it was never going to be practical. It was very much a symbolic thing, wasn't it? Of, like, I recognise the damage. Yeah. This is, this is going to be done. But it's this... I mean, he did another U-turn, didn't he, Graham? It wasn't just tax credits. There was another big one which completely, completely flummoxed Labour. Yeah, he had, he had two issues to kind of nullify in the, in, in the spending of you. Uh, tax credits was one, and cuts to police budgets was another. There were plenty of police forces expecting cuts of up to 25% to their, to, to their budget. Um, but in the aftermath of the Paris attacks in particular, it was a, a, a kind of groundswell of, 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 of dissent, to say, from Tory MPs, from police chiefs, from pretty much everyone saying, now is not the time to be cutting police budgets. And in reality, he said, no, I'm not going to cut the police budgets at all. Because the um, rumoured level was 10%, wasn't it? That was... Yeah, yeah, and the, the fears of 25%, 10% was a rumour, 5% was a kind of compromise, but in reality he said nothing. A kind of health warning with that, though, we'll have to wait and see kind of quite what comes out, comes out the other end. The Home Office is, is, is going to be cut 5%, so it's going to have to find some savings. Find is there not a sense somewhere. here that he kind of feels that he can do whatever he likes, though? I mean, his perception that Labour's so weak that even if he makes massive mistakes, he just feels right now he gets away with it. Is that, is that part of it as well? There's an element of that. I think you can take that too far. Don't forget, he made the great big error uh, on tax credits in the summer before Jeremy Corbyn was elected. That's when he thought Labour was really weak and no one was really opposing him. Although Chris Leslie will say he pointed out on the day of the summer budget... This is a tax on strivers, this tax credits thing. So Labour were onto it pretty quickly. What's different is that Corbyn is really, really, and McDonnell, determined to show their difference. So they said, well, we're not just going to look at this, we're going to reverse this tax credit cut. Um, and McDonnell overruled Seema Malhotra on that. And that, to be fair to McDonnell, he can look back and say, look, I had a proper strong line on this. Although, of course, the great irony is, it was the unelected House of Lords, the people that Jeremy Corbyn actually really doesn't want to exist at all because they don't have a democratic mandate, who delivered this great victory for Labour. And Baroness Hollis, who was the one who led, who was sort of delivered a very powerful speech in the House of Lords when the, the credit cuts got defeated, was in the chamber yesterday. She was sitting above in the gallery looking down as Osborne did what he was told, a little smile on her face, I noticed from that, which I thought was quite nice. And of nice. course, HuffPost has a little role in this great bit of history. That oh, we were the first to break this whole idea of a fatal motion in the House of Lords. We were the first to say, look, this is where it could all come up. So we started. did it, haven't we? It was us. <laughs> it's <laughs> us. It's us what won it. Everyone else is taking Forget credit. Forget the sun. Forget, forget Twitter. Forget toy back benches. It was, it was us. HuffPost what won You are won listening it. to the podcast, the official opposition. <laughs> um, there was also a wonderful bit yesterday for poor old Andy Burnham, who has not had the greatest year. Um, you know, losing out in the leadership, and really it was kind of his to lose in many ways. And he, well, Graham, you, I mean, you explain this, but he sort of backed the police cuts that never really happened, didn't he? And he, yeah. And he tell us about this. Well, well he, he was kind of, kind of caught in a, he was caught in a bit of a kind of pincer movement, I, I, I suppose. Um, the, the Tories were hammering him in the in the run up to uh, to the announcement, saying that he would he'd ask for a ten percent cut, and in reality they 
they, they, they didn't they didn't do that. And Cameron made a, a jibe at, at Burnham during, as he as, oh, sorry Oswald made a jibe at Burnham when he made the announcement. But but Burnham could have magnanimously on on Twitter made a reference to uh, to the campaign saying the police cut reversal is. Is, is comfortably his best campaign this year with reference to his defeat. But Burnham had said, Burnham had said that, hadn't he? He said, we were back, initially said we were back police cuts of 10%. Yeah. Then he said, no, it should be 5%. Yeah. Because he wanted, because he thought Osborne was going to do 10%. So, you know, I'll say 5% so I can play the, yes, I know there's got to be cuts, but also there's got, you know, I know there's still a job to do. And then Osborne pulled the rug out from underneath him, right? And it's just yeah. like on the and NHS, isn't it? The, the, week after week when he was Shadow, Home Secret- Shadow Health Secretary, David Cameron would point across the dispatch box, PMQ would say, look, this is the guy who said in 2010 he wanted to cut the NHS. We've put loads of money into the NHS. It's the pitfalls of the old special advisor class, I've got to say, people like Burnham, who think, oh, we've got to triangulate a bit. We've got to say, you know, we're going to deliver some hard savings because that will make us look quite centrist. Whereas actually, in, in fact, people like McDonnell and Corbyn, they've got a stronger case if they just outright oppose this stuff. You mentioned uh, John McDonnell there. He... I think that's probably one of the reasons why John McDonald's one of the reasons why uh, Osborne might get away with it in this, this budget is perhaps the, uh, the the cover that he's provided the the Chancellor Owen. What 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 what, what was John McDonald? What did what did John McDonald do in case people have been living under a rock for the last? Let's let's play a, let's play a clip of what John McDonald did. Here's the clip. To assist Comrade Osborne in his dealings with his newfound comrades, I brought him along Mao's little red book. <laughs> I want to hear about the contents of the book. I think you'll find. I think you'll find this invaluable. John McDonnell there. That actually happened. Yes, that actually happened. Just as proof. He stood up at a dispatch box and he read from Chairman Mao's little red book. Um, I've just got written down on notes here. Just a bit. Just why. <laughs> Ned, Ned, why we, did he do this? Sort of like David Cameron standing up, kind of in tops and tails and reading from Tatler, isn't it? Like, if, if you're being painted as something, don't then reinforce it by doing Even if it's a joke, and McDonald's said it's a joke about how, you know, Osborne is selling off British infrastructure to the Chinese, and it was to say, you know, um, here's some kind of advice for your new communist friends. But it just backfired spectacularly. I've never seen Osborne look happier. I mean, if they were cheering when he didn't do the tax credit cuts and they were cheering when he didn't cut the police, imagine their glee. Well, we don't have to imagine. We've got the well, clip. This is the clip of Osborne's reaction when uh, after uh, McDonnell not only read from the Little Red Book, then threw it across to him. This is Osborne's reaction. So the Shadow Chancellor literally stood at the dispatch box and read out from Mao's Little Red Book. <laughs> And look, it's his personal signed copy. You can hear the glee there in the, the Tory MP. You can, I think you can, you can even hear in that clip the, the sound of silence from one side of the chamber, and that was very much the Labour side of the chamber. Because if you watch the clip and you see poor Tom Watson's face as yeah. he thinks at first he's joking, and then he pulls out of his pocket, McDonald, the little red book. Watson just looks at Corbyn with a kind of what the hell is going <laughs> on Chris Bryant's face who was sat the other side of Corbyn as well just the look of absolute horror disguised horror and I saw the interesting thing this morning was um, McDonald's touring every broadcast studio that we're having and, and the first question was uh, nothing to do with the budget was, was to, do, to do with Chairman Mao 
And he made the point that... Let's just um, think about that for a second. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> but his, his response was, it was a joke and I was being ironic. And I just think, isn't this a lesson for all politicians? Never be ironic in the House of Commons. Never be ironic on Twitter. Yeah. Just say, say what you think and, and that's it. Oh, it's, always, it's always the jokes as well that get... Story, if we're looking for stories, it's always the last comment somebody makes in a in an event, the joke that always becomes the headlines. And on today when he said uh, he was trying to kind of say it, it wasn't too too much of a disaster because he put the issue on the agenda of infrastructure being sold to the Chinese. I'm not, I think he put Chairman Mao on the agenda. Well, but, yeah. but, but, but let's just play devil's advocate here for a second. He has to, isn't he? Because we wouldn't be sitting here now talking about this, talking about even mentioning the words that we're selling infrastructure to the Chinese the day after the budget. Uh, Alton but, statement, sorry, if he hadn't have done it, right? So let's just play devil's advocate. That maybe, what if he's right? What if we are, t- he's, he's done a good thing, right? Because we're all talking about it. That's a nice try, Owen. But, <laughs> I'm, but I'm not sure it works. I'll tell you why it doesn't work. Because, but it gets the heart of what McDonald and Corbyn are doing, which is they think they can rewrite the rules of the media. They think the media doesn't matter. They think the performance in the House of Commons doesn't really matter. This is all froth. And that actually, if a joke goes slightly awry, it doesn't really matter, because all they're talking about is serious issues that people weren't raising, things like sell-offs to foreign countries, things like tax credits. They, they think none of that matters. And the big problem is, why was it a story? It was a story because Labour MPs sitting alongside them thought it was a disaster. It was a story because it was on the 10 o'clock news last night. It's not just the newspapers who the left hate. But the, on the 10 o'clock news, you had this image of John McDonald chucking across this little red book, and it made Labour look kind of irrelevant. It made it look like a joke. And that's the biggest problem with this. You can try and rewrite the media rules, but unfortunately, you've got to live with the media rules as they are. But the fact is, the only newspapers that put on their front page there, I believe, were The Guardian and The Eye. So the idea that it's got some sort of right-wing, anti-Corbyn-led media but, who are going to pick up on this, actually, yeah, they but in, didn't. But, but interestingly, for, for a lot of the kind of the hardcore Corbyn supporters, The Guardian is also the right-wing enemy. I mean, yeah. that uh, right. caught a kind of momentum. That's well, Corbyn yes. supporters' event last night. Which Donald was supposed to go to. Donald was supposed to go to, but he was a bit busy. Right. And um, he had a the, very good reason. the General Secretary of the FBU, the Fire Brigade Union, was, um, you know, kind of having a, a criticising Labour MPs who were against Corbyn and also the media that was against Corbyn. Now, the mail got attacked, but also The Guardian, he said, should, quote, hang its head in shame. So in that construct, The Guardian is also viewed as being part of that, that kind of uh, establishment right-wing attack on, on Corbyn. Well, I was getting, I spoke to a couple of, I spoke to one very senior Labour MP yesterday, and he just said, have my head in my hands. And then this MP then rang me up, and it was, I felt like this MP's counsellor. Yeah. Because they almost couldn't get the words out, because it, cause it was such a bizarre thing to have to discuss, your shadow chancellor using Chairman Rouse to make a point. This person couldn't actually kind of form the words. And it should have been, it should have been a great day for the Labour Party. They, have, they could have, as we discussed, they should have been championing the fact that they forced U-turns on two big policy areas. They had the, 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 the uh, momentum here. And McDonald said in his speech, which responding to Osborne, which he, he said, you know, Shadow Chancellor's responses usually kind of go under the bridge and no one notices them, which is true. If you don't do something like that, they could have ignored his actual response and focused on the tax credit U-turn, on the police cuts U-turn, but the, and so on. The other point to make here is just who was in the room when John McDonald came up with that stunt idea. It's, it, it goes to the whole heart of who's in the inner circle in Corbyn and in McDonald's world. And if you, people are sitting in that room, you expect someone s- s- somewhere at the end of the table to say, just pipe up and put the hand up and say, actually, John, that might not 
play very well out there. It might just feed into the worst perceptions of you, which is that you are an ideologue. And they're actually, although you might be in touch with a lot of working class voters on one level, this will go down like a lead balloon amongst the people we need to win, which is in marginal seats in the South and um, people who are vaguely middle class. There was a, his press officer was going around the, the press gallery yesterday and he was trying to put, um, we were asking, he came in the room and everyone wants to know about Chairman Mao. Oh, it's a joke. <laughs> Again, pause. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. And it, you know, oh, it's a joke, it's a joke. And then, Graham, you were in the room, he got a bit angry, his press officer, and said, oh, the real story you lot should be writing about is what we're sending off to China. It's like, yeah, but we can't now because you decided yeah, to make it's... that point by using Chairman Mao. But that brings me nice onto this week's quiz. Yeah, right? Which we're all waiting for. We love that quiz, okay. Now, Chairman Mao, uh, obviously was a man who's very quotable, as is another chairman of the board, Frank Sinatra. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. oh, this week's quiz, you've got to decide, oh you've God. got to decide, who said these quotes? Was it Chairman Mao or Chairman of the board, Frank Sinatra? Very In good. a quiz that oh, I'm calling, God. you make me feel Mao Zedong. <laughs> like you make me so feel much. so young, but you make me feel oh so tongue. Oh my, this is, this is, <laughs> right. that sound you hear is a scrape in the bottom of the barrel. That is, that is, that is Who said this? <laughs> Chairman, <laughs> old red eyes, Mal, or old blue eyes, Sinatra, that, right? That's a better, that's a better. I am a thing of beauty. Graham, what do you reckon? Ooh. Mal, uh, okay, Mal. Mal. Oh, next yeah, game, Mal. Mal, Paul. I'm going Mal as well. No, that was Sinatra. From, oh, from which? It wasn't a lyric. He did. He did have oh. conversations outside of the world of lyrics. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm in my head. I'm, I'm thinking lyrics. I'm not going to so read up the lyrics to my way because you right. know them, wouldn't you? Yeah. Right. Well, I thought that was the idea. No, it's not. It's just quotes. <laughs> it's it is, it is necessary to make mistakes. <laughs> chairman Mao or Chairman of the Board? I think that's got to be Chairman of the Board. Uh, chairman Mao. Throwing us. Mao. That is Mao. That is Mao. Right. Okay. May you live to be a hundred, and may the last voice you hear be mine. Sinatra. I don't think Sinatra. It's got to be Mao. Yeah, that's Mao, yeah. That's Sinatra. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you're afraid of sinking. Don't think about it. If you don't think about it, you won't sink. If you do, you will. Mao or... Play along at home. Mao or Sinatra. <laughs> it's got, maybe it's Mao as a sort of sick joke to all those people he drowned in the labour camps. Um, yeah, Chairman Mao. Oh Keep it like. Keep it like. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm just thoroughly confused now. Um, I'm going to say Sinatra. No, it was Mao. It was yeah. swimming advice to a physician. Uh, people, <laughs> who tried to, people who tried to commit suicide don't attempt to save them. Oh, that's got to be Sinatra. That is, that's, that's very New that York. That's dark. That's New Sinatra. York hard man, that is, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I'll go with Sinatra. No, that was Mal. Oh, <laughs> So, uh, that's... Oh, and the last one, you're like, sweet potato tastes good. I like it. <laughs> that's impossible. <laughs> it could sweet be either. Potato, sweet potato tastes good. I'm going to... Investigate this. Sweet potato tastes taste good, and then what? I, I think like it's it. going to be Mal, because like he probably has never tasted it before. Sinatra. That... Paul is right, it's Mao. Apparently he uttered the words as like an off remark and it was turned into a big sort of campaign around China. So there we are, we're going to put those and more examples of this up on the website everyone. So if you want to go along and play You Make Me Feel So Tongue. Yeah. Is I getting it right? The pun? Anyway, you can. So anyway. Um, that was excellent. Cheers. Did you like that? My favourite bit. Better than Old and Blue? Just well, that's a, that's a, that's a fan favourite, isn't it? Let's yeah. shift gear again, something a bit more serious. Um, today, it really ramped up the, uh, the military action in Syria. Um, 
So, uh, Paul, I don't even want to talk us through that, and then we will come to Graham's stat of the week because I know that that's everyone's favourite bit of the People show. Are, yeah, champion of the bit for that. Yes, Syria. Um, so, you're a prime minister. You've got a majority of twelve, but you want to go to war. You know that there's a convention created by Tony Blair that you have to get the permission of the House of Commons. So, what do you do? Well, you've got to really pitch it to all those opposition MPs and Labour MPs that you need their votes for if you're going to get this through. So what we saw today in the House of Commons was one of David Cameron's most momentous statements that I've seen him make, um, and most sombre statements, where he set out a series of tests that he think he'd met to meet those concerns of Labour MPs, whether it's on UN authorisation, whether it's on the military plan of troops on the ground, and whether it was just the sheer legality of what he was doing. Um, and t- one by one, he ticked off all these boxes that he thought that Labour MPs would like. Um, the big problem for him was Jeremy Corbyn and Labour's position on Syria is far from clear. And Jeremy Corbyn, I think that what I got took from today was his reaction to, to, to David Cameron was clearly sceptical. He's clearly unconvinced by all the arguments. Most importantly, he's unconvinced by the intelligence case that Cameron's out today. Cameron made clear, look... The intelligence guys say we are at risk, greater risk from a threat from ISIL if we don't do anything in Syria. And Corbyn basically just came back at him and gave a series of tough questions about why he didn't agree with that. What's so like, because it seems like for Labour, it seems unlikely that Corbyn's going to whip the MPs to vote in favour. Now there's this discussion, isn't it? Will it be a free vote or will he whip them to vote against? What do you think for Labour is the kind of the least worst outcome? Because we're kind of assuming that if he whips them, there'll be resignations to vote uh, with Cameron, and if it's a free vote, the party will split in some way. Wh- which one of those is, it's, is, it's, it's is, is better? To, it's hard to see him not having a free vote now. I mean, there right. are so many people, particularly, crucially, Hillary Benn. We've talked about this before. Hillary Benn's role in all this is really important, the shadow foreign secretary. Um, he seems to be increasingly hawk-like about Syria. He wants proper action. And don't forget, he was one of the several senior shadow cabinet ministers who last night as revealed exclusively on HuffPost, was briefed by the security officials in Corbyn's office in the House of Commons. The guys came in from the Cabinet Office, very senior intelligence guys, senior security guys, setting out what the scale of the threat was posed to Britain by ISIL. Now, that's kind of normally a wake-up call for any politician. You get these guys in the room making it clear what the threat is. And yet, today, Corbyn is clearly unconvinced. Equally, so is MacDonald on the radio. He's not that convinced. Um, And so... If you've got your leader and your shadow chancellor not convinced of the case that the rest of the shadow cabinet are doing, you're going to have to have a free vote. But how does I mean? How does Ben, if he votes in favour, if it's a free vote, how does he then kind of tour interviews explaining how he thinks we should bomb, but his leader doesn't? Isn't that doesn't, isn't that that's extraordinary? That's the problem. It's going even to be, if it's a free vote. I mean, how I do you justify that? The real danger there, yeah, for Labour is of a free vote is what it looks like chaos. There's no question. Most people in the shadow cabinet were delighted they agreed that they got Corbyn to say we'll have a collective decision. It wasn't just going to be his decision. But what they really want is a collective decision to back military action. That's not happening. And, and did you also notice, I'm listening to the, to the debate myself, that there was a few kind of backbenchers making the same point about the 70,000 yeah. um, kind of free, freedom fighters, freedom army, whatever you want to call them. Um, and people weren't quite clear where this number has come from that's been dropped into the dossier. And that seems to be important because if we're not going to get involved in a boots-on-the-ground campaign and we're just going to be involved in bombing, it's going to have to be these 70,000 freedom fighters, whoever they are, who actually do the business of, of taking care of ISIL. There was a number of MPs, and I thought it was quite striking, from Tories principally, but, but a couple of Labour MPs as well were saying, 
who, who are these people? Are they one force? Are they a, a ragtag yeah. bunch? Whatever. And, and, and beyond the kind of the, the bigger picture of should we be doing it, I think there were some crucial questions asked there about, about the kind of logistics and the, the kind of minutiae of the policy that actually I think might, I, I think a lot of MPs are still kind of uncertain about how they're going to go. I think that's the biggest weakness in, in Cameron's case today, definitely. Just finally, Paul, when's the vote going to be? Well, it looks like it's going to be early next week. The Shadow Cabinet are going to meet on Monday. There's going to be a crucial PLP that evening, which could be a bloodbath. I've been told that Hilary Benn um, has been suggested he may not be allowed to speak at that meeting and that it's only Jeremy Corbyn that answers. Here's another little tidbit for you. Last night's security briefing in D Jeremy Corbyn's office, he was 15 minutes late. Sounds a bit like getting ready for this podcast. Before we go, we've got time for Graham's Stat of the Week. No jingle? That is the jingle. Um, I want a jingle. I'll jingle. get you a jingle. Okay. Um, so the start of the week is according to the book, all the according to the book, all the countries we've ever invaded and the few we've never got round to. That's the name of the book. There are only twenty-two countries in the world Britain has never invaded. Twenty-two. That's amazing. Does anyone want to guess before I give the? Stand? No idea. Okay, Guatemala, Tajikistan. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and the Marshall Islands. Yep. Yeah. And Luxembourg. Excellent. So, I think we missed out Luxembourg. I think we've had it. We had no, we've had no beef with Luxembourg. <laughs> no beef with Luxembourg. Really well, amazing. more of that fantastic information <laughs> next week where we'll know the result of the Syria vote and also it will be the day of the crucial by-election in Oldham West and Royton. Will Labour be able to protect their 14,000 majority from UKIP? Uh, we will uh, be discussing that and much more. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. 